welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. 2021 is almost over, and it's been a challenging year for many dealing with COVID-related health, work, and family issues. This year has been challenging for our community for another reason, increasing gun violence and a record year for fatal gun shootings. As of November 13th, Durham had broken its record for the most homicides in a single year. On November 26th, the day after Thanksgiving and the busiest shopping day of the year, there was a shooting at South Point Mall in the middle of the day. And just last week, we saw the tragic fatal shooting of two young people when the SUV they were driving was fired upon. Four other young people in the SUV ranging from ages 12 to 17 were also shot and injured during that shooting. On this evening's show, we're gonna talk about Durham's gun violence and what we can do to address this problem. We have joining us for this discussion, District Attorney Satana D. Berry, and we'd like to thank you. We know it's an incredibly busy time for you and we appreciate you taking time to talk with us. So let's first start with um, a little about your background and your position as district attorney. Um, you have been in uh, this position for three, going on four years. This is your first term as district attorney. And as you talk about your background and your position, can you also share with us why you decided to even run for that position? Right. Yeah, thank you. This is my first term as Durham's elected district attorney. I was elected in 2018 on a uh, platform of criminal justice reform, really meaning that um, people in Durham wanted us to be more focused on the serious and violent crime in our communities and less focused on um, locking up people with mental health and substance abuse issues and um, focusing less on uh, issues of poverty and more on those things that keep us unsafe. Um, and the way that I got into this work, my background, uh, I've been here in Durham now for almost 30 years, came here to go to law school at Duke, and um, started out my legal career uh, doing environmental justice work and have been a criminal defense attorney and really have been focused on the systems that keep uh, communities of color poor and vulnerable. Um, and marginalized. And some folks came to me in um, 2017 and, and talked to me about the real challenges um, that we were facing in Durham as a community around public safety and criminal justice and asked me to run. And uh, after much convincing, I agreed to do it. And um, it is uh, perhaps the, the best job I've ever had. Um, and uh, yeah. It is, I, it is my honor to serve people of Durham County doing this work. Mm -hmm. 
So you, you mentioned that you have always been very mindful and focused on um, the structures and systems in place that keep our community, the African-American community, the Black community, poor and vulnerable and marginalized. And when we think about violence in the community, oftentimes it, those systems feed the violence uh, or the circle or the, the consequences of the, um, those systems being in place. Can you share your thoughts on the causes of gun violence kind of generally and the increase in gun violence here in Durham? Sure, I think it is um, kind of typical to think of gun violence as an individual choice that uh, somebody is making a decision to own a gun and to shoot that gun when we know both from research and from our lived experience that uh, gun violence, the most gun violence happens in the communities that are the poorest and the most vulnerable. vulnerable. Um, and those are communities, especially where young people uh, feel like they have no opportunity, no future. Um, and this that the consistent um, conversation that they are in is about the limitations of their lives um, and the lives of others. And, you know, when you spend any time talking to older people who have grown up in violence, um, who have violence in their past, one of the things that they would tell you is that uh, they didn't think it mattered what they did because uh, they had no future. And so I think we're starting to, what we're seeing now is as poor communities become even poorer, right? We're in an era where um, there's increasing inequality, um, especially among people of color and immigrant communities. Um, as we see this kind of increasing inequality, we see more violence in those communities that are subject to that inequality. Let, let me just ask, you know, because, you know, in, in her opening, uh, April made the point that uh, the homicide rate in Durham had reached an, a record high uh, by the middle of November. And from the public viewing of what is being articulated in the media, uh, we see a lot of young people as the uh, victims of these uh, shootings and as the perpetrators of these shootings. And so my first question, is, is that the reality in Durham that of the homicides that, uh, that's been experienced during the past year, that they are primarily focused on, uh, on young people? That is an excellent question. Um, I think we see really three I would say we see three types of homicides in Durham. We see about a third of our homicides are um, really kind of random acts of violence, right? So people get into some type of road rage, some type of argument, um, and that ends in physical altercation that may end in the death of some person, uh, you know, a bar fight, something like that. 
Another third are the result of domestic violence. Um, so while they may be gun violence, they are um, gun violence perpetrated by an intimate partner against another intimate partner. Um, and then about a third are what you would, we would probably consider kind of classic, classic gun violence that the media focuses on that involves young people, um, mostly young black men in poor, in poor neighborhoods and communities. Mm -hmm. is, 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 well, how prevalent and impactful is the um, possession and ownership of guns? within our city. I know we're dealing with this Second Amendment constitutional right, but has that really created a significant increase in the uh, ownership and possession of guns within uh, people within our population? Well, Durham County sits with, within a uh, larger state of North Carolina. North Carolina has uh, fairly liberal gun laws. Um, so what that means is there are a lot of people who own guns in this community um, and really in any community in North Carolina. Um, I know Professor Dawson mentioned the shooting at um, South Point on Black Friday. And I would argue that if you were to have stopped time uh, around the time of that shooting and searched cars in the parking lot, more than half of those cars would have a gun in um, so gun, gun ownership is high. Um, lots of people don't secure their guns. They get stolen. They end up uh, circulating on the street. Um, and that generally is how, how young people get guns. Uh, just do that. But I would say there, there are a lot of guns. Most of them are, are not necessarily um, used to shoot each other. But you know, we have more guns and we have people in North Carolina, so. That's a, a sobering thought, right? <laughs> um, and, and even, you know, uh, folks that are, that talk about the, the presence of guns in our communities um, and even with gun control laws, there are so many guns that are currently in circulation. That's very difficult to undo, even when you're talking about um, laws that would control uh, the availability of guns. So um, District Attorney DeBerry, can you talk about, so you're the District Attorney, the, the lead prosecutor in Durham County. Can you share with our audience the role that your department plays when it comes to um, gun incidences, uh, investigation and prosecution? Well, the district attorney's office in North Carolina, um, law enforcement charges. So crimes in, in North Carolina are generally charged, here, and here in Durham County, they are generally charged by um, Durham Police Department or Durham County Sheriff's Office. Um, those cases then come to my office for prosecution. Uh, what we try to do is focus on the things that are the most serious. Um, so those would be uh, charges that involve human victims um, and, and harm to human victims. What we are less interested in 
is the simple possession of a gun without that gun being used um, towards some type of violence. So when we have uh, crimes where, uh, where people are charged with carrying a concealed weapon here in North Carolina, if you take a class, um, you, can, you can carry a concealed weapon. Um, we encourage people to do that. When guns have been used against other people, or in a crime of violence to rob someone else or when someone has been shot, we confiscate those guns. Um, and we are increasingly asking the courts to destroy those guns. There's a specific law in North Carolina that does not allow for um, the destruction of a weapon without a court order. Um, and here in Durham County, we are trying to get those court orders so that uh, uh, once, we, once a gun has been seized, and the person has been prosecuted and convicted, we can destroy that weapon um, and one, avoid the cost to Durham County taxpayers of storing that gun indefinitely, um, and two, um, keeping it from returning, any possibility of it returning to the street. So as your, so I thought I heard you say um, with concealed weapons that individuals can take a class. Um, I thought you said that you encourage people to do that. Can you, did I hear you right? And sure. yeah, can, can you expand upon that a little bit? And I'm, I'm assuming that this kind of goes to, you know, as Irv mentioned, there's a second amendment right as interpreted by the Supreme Court that individuals can possess uh, guns in their home for self-defense. Uh, so we have this interpreted constitutional right. Uh, however, we do want to make sure that people exercise that right in a responsible way, which requires education and training. Um, so as far as your, your uh, encouraging people to take classes, can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure, and I think Professor Dawson, you set that up very well. Right. So Americans have a constitutional right to um, bear arms to keep a weapon in their home. North Carolina statute expands that a little bit so that North Carolina residents can carry a gun on their person legally. However, um, you do have to take a class for that. You do have to get a certification. Um, and we encourage people to do that if you are going to own a gun. Uh, right, you cannot be, um, there, are very, there are things that keep you from buying a gun. Um, the federal government says you can't buy a gun if you are, have been convicted of a felony or if you have some mental health issue that uh, would keep you, um, would make you not a safe person to own a gun. Um, but that's, that's about it. Otherwise, anybody else can possess a gun. Um, and so what we encourage members of our community to do is if you are going to possess a gun, that you um, take some classes to learn how to use that gun, to learn how to use it safely. They are very dangerous, as we have seen. Um, and that you, uh, if you are going to carry that gun on you, that you take a class that uh, allows you to come to the sheriff and get a permit to have a concealed weapon. If you have a weapon concealed on your body and you do not have uh, a concealed carry permit, that is against the law in North Carolina. Um, and if you're stopped in your car and you have it under your seat and you don't have it, you will be charged. 
And so um, whether or not, you know, we may have our own personal opinions about whether you should or should not own a gun, um, but the law says you can on under certain circumstances. Uh, this is the uh, Legal Legal Review, and uh, we are talking about uh, the increasing gun violence in uh, Durham. And we're talking with uh, District Attorney Satana DeBear. Uh, we want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this uh, very important uh, conversation, and we'll be uh, right back. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and here is your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight. Did you know that a driver is considered to be legally impaired when their blood alcohol concentration measures 0.08 or higher? Alcohol severely hampers a driver's ability to safely operate a motor vehicle, impairing judgment and slowing reaction time. Here are some statistics about drinking and driving. One alcohol-related death occurs every 52 minutes, according to the NHTSA. Drunk driving causes more than 10,000 deaths every year, about one-third of all traffic-related deaths. In a recent year, more than 230 children were killed by drunk driving crashes. Drinking and driving costs more than $44 billion in deaths and damages annually. 25% of adults admit that they drink more during the holiday season. The period from Thanksgiving to New Year's season estimated 25,000 injuries from alcohol-related crashes. New Year's Day is the deadliest day for alcohol-related crashes, with 58% of crashes being related to alcohol. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your reminder not to drink and drive this holiday season. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review, and thank you so very much for staying with us uh, this evening. Uh, as we discuss with uh, District Attorney Satana Deberry about uh, the criminal justice process and gun violence in, uh, in Durham. And uh, my, my, my question out, out of the break uh, to you uh, is that you ran on a uh, progressive agenda for a district attorney. And there are a number of district attorneys around the country who share uh, a common progressive agenda uh, and philosophy about uh, uh, prosecuting uh, criminal incidents uh, within the uh, city. And we see, uh, as, as uh, April raised in her opening, this uh, record number of uh, of gun violence of fatalities uh, here in, in Durham. Has this uh, experience uh, challenged or affirmed uh, the uh, uh, progressive philosophy that you, uh, that you brought to the office? I would say it, is, it has done, it has both challenged and affirmed um, our philosophy around prosecution. You know, I think First, our goal was to be smart on crime, which meant that we wanted to, uh, in Durham County, there are 30,000 criminal cases filed a year. Less than 10% of those are violent crime. Most of those are, half of those are traffic cases. And the, the rest are mostly 
uh, misdemeanors and low-level felonies. And those are the type of creep in the criminal legal system that has made uh, the courts and law enforcement responsible for really um, social ills, things like substance abuse and mental illness and poverty. And so we wanted to be able to unhook the, the unhook um, from the narrative that uh, we have to be, we have to keep turning all these low level things so that um, we're safe. And I think overall in Durham, crime is down. Of course, that is no, that is cold comfort to the families who have lost people, um, who've lost members of their families and other loved ones to shootings. Um, and shootings are almost, or a very different uh, type of crime and I think require a really different approach from our community than say, um, the prosecution of property crimes or any type of low, low level things. And so I think what it challenges us to do is think about, um, I, and I think we, if we think about the history of mass incarceration in the United States, especially um, in the 80s and 90s, I think these shootings are almost, we could have almost predicted what we're going through now because those were, uh, the parents of the kids who are uh, engaged in this activity now who found themselves cycling through war on drugs, through mass incarceration, their inability to uh, get good jobs and education and take care of their families. Um, we're now seeing um, that lack of opportunity for people in my generation show up in the problems that our children are suffering. Let me just, just follow that up with the, the, the fact that uh, there's information that the clearance rate as it relates to some of these uh, gun violence is low. And I don't know if it is so-called unacceptably uh, low uh, or not, but it suggests to me that uh, the low clearance rate is due in large part to an inability to identify those individuals who are responsible for these shootings, which further suggests to me that, uh, that, that people in the community are not cooperating with the police in reporting and identifying uh, the perpetrators in these cases. Uh, so can you kind of, you know, respond to that. Is that a fair conclusion to reach as to uh, one of the reasons that uh, this gun violence is continuing to flourish in Durham? I mean, I think that's fair. It's, you know, it rates are complicated things and lots of, uh, lots of things go into how a, um, a shooting or a homicide gets solved. But it is really important. There is nothing better in court and professors Joyner and Dawson, you know this because you teach this. There is nothing better in court than a human witness, right? Somebody who can say what happened. And we often don't get people who will say what happened. Um, 
I spent a lot of time talking to the, the families of victims of shootings and homicides. And the families will say to me, well, everybody knows who shot my child or who killed my child. And, um, but everybody knows does not stand up in court, right? The, the, the streets be talking, but the streets do not, uh, not pass a procedural test for court. And, you know, there's a complicated way that these communities feel about law enforcement. There's a complicated way they feel about district attorney's office, about the American criminal legal system in general. Um, and they often don't think that they will be treated fairly um, or that they will get the justice, uh, certainly as black people, that they feel uh, like honors the life of their their family member and, or themselves. And so that makes it particularly challenging um, to, for law enforcement to, to clear these cases and, and then for my office to take those cases and prosecute them to conviction. Yeah, we're delighted to be joined by Durham County Sheriff Clarence Burkhead, um, who we would love to get your thoughts. Um, of course, we've been talking this hour about the increasing gun violence and, and gun fatalities here in Durham. Um, can you share your thoughts on, well, first, if, if you could just share a little bit about, about your background, why you decided to become involved in law enforcement, and then share your thoughts on uh, the causes, why we're seeing an increase in gun violence in our Durham community. Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, thank you, Professor Joyner and, and April, and uh, hello to my DA. It's always a pleasure to be on, on your show. Uh, you, you just asked a question that's gonna take me back some 38 years, because I'm, I'm in my 38th year of law enforcement. And uh, I, I would say the same thing that keeps me in law enforcement today is what got me in law enforcement almost 38 years ago. And that's a spirit of service. Growing up in Randolph County, uh, I, I felt called to, us to serve, to serve my community. And you can imagine in, in 1983, 1984, there were not very many African-Americans in law enforcement uh, in Randolph County. Uh, and so there was no representation and, and no one giving back to my community, the community that I was growing up in or that I grew up in. So I felt uh, that it was an obligation to serve. Uh, and so I entered the ranks of uh, the Rookie Academy in, in, in 1984 and, and graduate, I'm sorry, 1983 and graduated uh, from the Academy and became a deputy sheriff. And, and that was the beginning of me being able to give back uh, to my community. Uh, and now here I am, the sheriff of Durham County, uh, some 37 years later, still committed to giving back to addressing some of the issues that I see within our criminal justice system, uh, working with the governor's task force on racial equity, working with the North Carolina Sheriff's Association uh, to, to elevate uh, the professionalism of law enforcement in North Carolina and serving the community and all the residents of Durham, 
Durham County. Uh, and, and the second part of your question is what's contributing to the gun violence? Uh, that is a multi-layered uh, question that requires multiple answers. Uh, we all know the obvious. Uh, there's lack of access and lack of jobs. Our communities are in pain. They need healing. Trauma is on every corner. And so we have to address that. We have to address the mental illness. Uh, but we in law enforcement, we have to figure out a way to work with our community leaders, uh, certainly with our police department here in Durham, our DA's office, on how we can curb this current spike in gun violence, specifically that we're, uh, we're seeing in Durham. And we're committed to do that. And, and I think it's going to take not just law enforcement, not just the DA's office, but it's going to take every community organization, every mother, grandmother, every uh, uh, person who is concerned about the young lives that are being lost. The DA just said the community doesn't really trust law enforcement. And I agree. We have to build, rebuild that trust every single day and go into these communities to, to reach these young people, to reach these parents. So someone will stand up and say, yes, I know who committed this crime. Uh, stand with us, work with the DA's office, work with the law enforcement to, to bring these individuals to a court of accountability. And I'm, I'm just optimistic enough to believe that we can do that in Durham. Well, let me just follow up on that and, 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 and District Attorney Dewberry's uh, response earlier uh, about the disconnect uh, between the uh, uh, members of the community and, uh, and, and law enforcement. Uh, what efforts are underway to actually do that, that will get into the community and talk with the people in the community as opposed to uh, the so-called leaders of the uh, community to resolve that disconnect, which uh, at least the, the suggestion is that the low clearance rate uh, involved in uh, surrounding these uh, shootings is uh, uh, caused by this uh, disconnect and the refusal or failure, I don't know which, whether, which one it is, of people to come forward to law enforcement with information that can lead to the apprehension of those uh, perpetrators of these offenses. So Dr. Joyner, uh, as, as the sheriff of Durham County, uh, me and my staff, we're in the communities, uh, neighborhoods every, every day. Uh, we actually do more inside the city limits of Durham than we do in, in the 250 unincorporated miles, but that's just the nature of what the sheriff is charged to do. Uh, but as it relates to getting in the community, we are constantly talking to community members, uh, some community leaders, whether they live in McDougal Terrace or Cornwallis or any other uh, community across there. And we're, we're making those connections. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we held a summit uh, off of Junction Road where community members were invited to talk with us. Some leaders, uh, and some are just very concerned. So we're having those uh, dialogues in the community every day. Uh, you, you know, when I ran for sheriff uh, in 2018, I ran on 
uh, transparency, engagement, and accountability, T. And I think we've lived up to that with the engagement piece because we're constantly talking to members of the community. And I don't just talk to the leaders. I, I talk to those who are suffering. Uh, I got a call yesterday from a young lady in McDougal Terrace. She's got my phone number and she calls me on the regular to talk about what's going on in uh, the MAC. Uh, and other communities and other community members do the same thing and have access to their share. So we can build those relationships so we can uh, hopefully solve some of these, these uh, crimes that are being committed. So I think we just have to be repetitive over and over and over. If we say we're coming, we have to show up. And we've done that here uh, at the Sheriff's Office. We've got a new chief, Chief Andrews, uh, with the Durham Police Department. I believe wholeheartedly she too is committed to being uh, visible and being present in the community. And we're willing to walk alongside her and the men and women of the Durham Police Department. But we have to show up. We can't just hold a program or hold a vigil. We have to stay in the community. And, and I know the sheriff's office, uh, those under my leadership, we're committed to do that. Yeah, and I think it's not just, um, you know, asking the sheriff or the chief um, to show up in person. We're talking about hundreds of years of entrenched um, how people feel about the district attorney's office, how people feel about law enforcement. Um, especially in the Black community, and their experience of what has come before the folks who are doing it now. Um, so, so to a certain extent, we're trying to do catch up the transparency help. Um, but, you know, people are not just, ex they're, they're not just experiencing the current actors in, in these positions, I guess, is the point. Um, and also, I think we have to remember that Durham while it is growing, it is still, especially in these communities, a small town. And uh, people's lives are interwoven in these communities. There's a certain amount of fear of retribution um, that people have. There's a certain amount of, um, you know, people wanting to hold their family members close. Um, and so it, it it's going to take all of us really um, and all of us trusting each other to do the right thing for people to feel like they can come forward and uh, and say, talk about what they see. You know, like the sheriff, my phone has been blowing up this week um, with people who want to talk about what happened, but don't want to talk about it in a way that puts them in jeopardy or puts them, uh, puts their name in discovery packets. Yeah, and you, you know, it's definitely a, a catch-22 um, when it comes to being the, the, the person that, you know, is the witness in court. Um, District Attorney, you were talking about it's, it can be challenging to prosecute offenders when you don't have those witnesses. The tragic loss of these two young people last week um, and the other young folks that were in the SUV uh, we're talking about ages ranging from 12 to, to 19. The incident happened in the very early hours of um, on Monday at a time where you would not anticipate that teenagers would be out, would be in an SUV 
um, and be in harm's way. And, and when we come back, I wanna talk about how, what strategies can your departments and our community employ so that we limit the exposure that particularly these young people um, have. Uh, when we talk about community engagement, oftentimes it's the, the older folks, right? The, the parents, the, the grandparents, the aunties, those of us of a certain age that, that now realize that we are not invincible, that the people that we love are not invincible. It can be challenging to have that same type of engagement with the young people who are often, uh, as the district attorney mentioned, the, you know, the violence that we see in the news that the media, you know, kind of focuses on. But we're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour about the very tough subject of gun violence and gun deaths here in our beloved Durham. Um, we are being joined in our Zoom studio with District Attorney Satana DeBerry and also the Durham County Sheriff, Clarence Burkhead. We're going to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to, one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour with our guests about the increasing gun violence that we're seeing in Durham. And we have with us here in our Zoom studio, Durham District Attorney Satana DeBerry and Durham County Sheriff Clarence Burkhead. So right before the break, I was um, telling you, kind of letting you all know what, what we are hoping to include in our discussion during this final segment is how we can better protect our, our young people, our children, who uh, Clarence Burkhead, as you've mentioned, um, 
the victims are getting younger and the perpetrators are getting younger. And, and in order to address this problem, we've got to focus on these young people. Um, Clarence Burkhead, let's start with you. And then um, Satana DeBerry will have you share your thoughts. No, absolutely, April. Uh, we, we all know that we have to reach our, our youth at a very early age. And I agree with that. We need early intervention. But along with that intervention, we need parents to be parents. We need uh, the most recent incident where we had ages ranging from 12 to 19 out at three o'clock in the morning is unacceptable. And it's hard for me to understand how someone's child can be out of the house at one, two, three o'clock in the morning and the parents not may not know it, or at least when they discover it, not, not immediately start searching for that child and trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Uh, our parents are definitely going to have to be part of this conversation. Uh, our school's certainly going to have to be part of this conversation, but, but growing up, it started at home with me, and it, and it has carried me through life, those lessons from my mother and my father. And uh, I simply am making a plea for all parents to join us. Uh, and, and, and as the DA said in the previous segment, we have to understand what has contributed to this mistrust of law enforcement. And that is the history of law enforcement. I'm, I'm the high sheriff, to use a historical term. And I recognize that the high sheriff's history is steeped in oppression uh, and is deep rooted in slave patrols and the uh, abusive uh, acts of some of those sheriffs back in the day, so to speak. But we're in a new era now. Uh, six of the largest jurisdiction, jurisdictions in North Carolina are being led by African-American sheriffs, unprecedented. We have a black DA here in Durham, female DA, uh, and we have an opportunity to change that historical narrative and be the leaders that our communities want us to be. So yes, let's recognize the history, but let's bring our parents to the table, let's bring our organizations to the tables and let's have a real conversation of how we move forward so we can save our youth. Yeah, I, you know, I am the parent of young adults. Um, I have a 20 year old daughter and two 16 year old um, daughters, and it is not like when I was growing up, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I know it is, it is challenging to parent in this age. Uh, a lot of the evidence that we get in homicide cases is social media evidence. It's from cell phones. Um, there's a lot, I, I know from personal experience that there's a lot going on in my children's lives about which I don't know because it's going on inside their phones. And that for them, that is as much real life as what is actually happening out here to those of us who are older. Um, and so, and I think we just have to be laser focused on the kids in our community who are suffering. Um, it's not all kids, you know, my kids aren't suffering, right? And so, I don't, I can get my kids in after school programs. I can get my kids college uh, prep courses. You know, I can get for them the things that they need. But I think we as a community need to just really be laser focused 
on those kids who don't have that, who have parents who may themselves have a history of substance abuse or mental illness or homelessness, the type of things that mean that you don't have a consistent place to, to live. Um, it is concerning to me when I hear that there are, uh, you know, young women in cars with adult men, right? That, that is concerning to me um, because, you know, there's something missing for that young woman and somebody's providing it outside of her house. And, um, that is a recipe we know for disaster. So, you know, I just think we just have to have some really honest conversations. And instead of trying to blanket across all black kids or all brown kids, uh, we said there are some of us who need help and we need intensive round the clock, 24 seven help. And if we as a community aren't gonna provide it, then this is what's gonna happen. You know, at, at, at one time, uh, not too many years ago, there was this uh, emphasis on uh, crime prevention, uh, particularly in uh, minority communities. And there were programs that were set up uh, to promote that notion of crime prevention. Uh, has that concept played out uh, such that now we don't have a, uh, a community reckoning with the notion of how do I protect uh, my family and my community from criminal uh, elements? And it appears that the no snitch policy is more uh, prominent uh, within uh, these uh, communities than is the protection of our young people, as you talked about, uh, 12 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old being out in a stolen vehicle at uh, three o'clock uh, in, in, in the morning. So how can we change that culture? Well, Dr. Jonah, I, I, I think the concept of crime prevention is still, is still there, uh, but we, you know, our communities, I think, are just uh, suffering right now. So we've got to come at this uh, from a different angle uh, because of, and the DA said it earlier, not, you know, folks don't want to come forward. They don't want to snitch or they, they may uh, be in real fear of retaliation or retribution. So uh, I think we have to uh, have the conversation about what crime prevention looks like and whether that's through the uh, safety and wellness task force uh, or through the new division of health and safety from, on, from the city of Durham, city council. Uh, we have to figure out what crime prevention now looks like uh, in, this, in this area, in, in, in this era. Uh, and we gotta have those conversations. Uh, we used to have community meetings to talk about crime prevention and education and giving tips and developing those relationships with law enforcement in the community. So we've got to continue those things, but I think we also have to come at it from a different angle uh, because of the pain and the trauma that, that our young people are, and our communities as a whole are experiencing. I, I don't have a good answer for you or the audience this morning, uh, but I do know it, we're going to have to think outside of the box and not approach it from the same manner that we have uh, over the years. 
Madam DA. Yeah, I wish I had all the answers. Um, you know, what I think we're trying to do from our office is not put families um, at risk of incarceration, um, lack of opportunity, uh, restrict their access to education because of involvement with the criminal legal system that doesn't need to happen. And, you know, kind of on, on a personal note, I just think as a community, we don't give kids enough to do. Um, this week's incident happened around the corner from um, an almost new elementary school where everything closes down after school. So the kids in that community don't have playing fields. They don't have access to playground equipment. The adults in that community don't have access to community space. Um, you know, people, those communities have what they need to succeed if we help, if we're willing to support that. There are people in that community, um, you know, I'm gonna call out Ashley Kennedy now because Ashley, is, you know, tirelessly works in McDougal Terrace for her kids, and other people's kids. And, um, you know, she's always begging for help. And, so help doesn't always mean that uh, your physical body needs to be in the space, but sometimes it means policies and priorities that, um, that prioritize that community and that particular community's needs. Yeah, and hearing both of you share your uh, thoughtful comments, um, what occurs to me is, and this is something that, that Irv mentioned, um, I think maybe even during our break, you know, when, when you have a tragic event, like what happened last week, when you have a shooting at the most popular shopping day of the year, that brings the gun violence into the homes of those that, that may not really be in tune. Um, both of you work in the law enforcement community. So, so this is what you do and what you see in your day-to-day. -day. But there are those of us in the community that are um, you know, kind of siloed and, and we don't see it. And if each of you did your jobs perfectly, it still would not address the problem 100% because it requires all of us to come together and to play our part. Um, I think part of it comes down to making sure that we see. So um, let's see, one of you had said, uh, Sheriff Burkhead, you mentioned um, that the, you know, the communities are suffering and we, and we know that, uh, but also this whole notion that, um, and, uh, District Attorney DeBerry, you mentioned that we have to be laser focused on the kids that are suffering. If you don't see these children who are suffering, right, if you're out in the community and you don't see them, you don't realize who they are, you don't put a face to them, you don't see the value in them, how is it that we as a community can laser focus on them? And so I'm just kind of sharing my thoughts and I want to get your reactions to how the larger community can better assist because we cannot solve this problem just by looking at what law enforcement is or is not doing. Um, 
and, and even looking at what parents are or are not doing because we know because of the history, because of uh, the marginalization of our communities, because of the lack of economic opportunities, that there may be some individuals who are parents who are not able to adequately parent their children. And it requires a community to be able to step in. So what are your thoughts and, and suggestions for what the community can do to help address this problem? I'm the child of school teachers. My parents were school teachers. My grandparents were school teachers. All my siblings uh, either teach now or at some point in their careers have taught. And so I'm a big believer in, um, as a community, investing in early childhood education, investing in after school programs. Uh, it is investing in the mental health of kids and their families goes a very long way. It is hard when somebody is 19 to say to them, uh, you're not doing things the right way. You're out here wilding out and you know, that's, we don't wanna see that. It's a lot easier to feed a three-year-old, make sure they have adequate daycare, um, invest in their, in them going to the dentist, invest in, their parents having a job than uh, it is to deal with the issues by the time the sheriff or I get involved. In fact, if I were doing my job perfectly, you still wouldn't see it because I don't come in to play until bad things have happened. And so I would like to see, uh, I think there's the rule of thumb now for sociologists is that you have to have 20 years of uninterrupted um, economic and social success um, to do well as an adult, right? To be safely in the middle class, to be safely in, to be able to buy a home in a community that's safe, all of those things. 20 years of that. Um, that means we got to get started early. And so we know what to do. It is not a matter of not knowing what to do. It is a matter of not investing. So as community members, you can um, vote for people who will invest in those things. You can run yourself. I always say to people, if you don't like the way things are going, um, then you should run and change them yourself. And you know, be the, be the it's, it's cliche, but be the change you wanna see in the world. It doesn't require you to go a kid, but if that's what you can do, do that. But uh, we have big systemic problems that need to be changed. And the only way we change them is that we get involved in big systemic change. April, uh, I'm going to answer the question this way and or hopefully offer some, uh, some guidance that Sir Robert Peel, back in the 1800s, considered the father of community policing. Uh, one of the principles, and I'll paraphrase, says community are the police and the police are the community. Police simply being paid to do what is incumbent upon every member of the community in the interest of public safety. That's community. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was growing up, when, when you all were growing up, we had community. We, we 
talked to our neighbors. We knew the kids down the street. Uh, we uh, held those kids responsible or accountable when they did something wrong. Uh, and, and times have changed, yes, they have, but we need to build community. And we do that by investing, like DA uh, DeBerry said, we have to invest in our communities. From a law enforcement perspective, I want to empower the community to do some form of self-policing. I agree. We certainly don't want to over-police, but we need to partner with them to self-police and, and to feel that they have a say in how their community is shaped and uh, how it is developed. And they are part of the conversation. We cannot go in and tell them what they need to do. We need to go in and sit down with them so we can all come up with solutions on how to build this community, how to reinvest, how to open those centers that are sitting dormant in communities all across Durham, commit the resources so we can develop those after-school programs, those tutoring, those mentoring programs, invest in the communities, start the healing, and certainly mental health is a huge component to address the trauma that uh, our communities communities are experiencing. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the approaches that we must take. And certainly law enforcement is, is sort of woven into that, but we're not the front end. Uh, unfortunately, as the DA said, by the time we get involved, it may be too late, but I wanna put us on the front end alongside the community members. Uh, so I think that's what it's gonna take to rebuild communities and and, start the healing process. Well, we are out of time. Uh, we really appreciate Durham District Attorney Satana D. Berry and Durham County Sheriff Clarence Burkhead for taking time out of their very busy schedules to talk with us about this incredibly important and sobering issue. We will have the two of you back on the show um, after the new year. Our hope is that um, the numbers will drop, but regardless of what happens, we know we need to continue to have these discussions about how we can improve our, our community and, and improvement won't come without these tough discussions. So thank you very much for your time. We of course would also like to thank you, our listening audience for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.